Children can be dismissed. Walk, walk. <laughs> Let's get our Bibles out this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 5 today. The Lord's been brewing on my heart for some time while we were working our way through 1 Samuel that we would spend some time in Matthew chapter 5 just chock full of spiritual goodies in there and uh, Jesus speaking uh, his sermon on the mountain. I'm going to read uh, to you the verse, first 12 verses of the chapter. Let's just thank God for the word and then we will jump in. Father, this morning we thank you for the word. We thank you for our time together here, for the worship that was offered up today, Lord. We pray that our hearts are ready now through worship to receive the word and that Holy Spirit, you would open up the truth of this to us, that we would be able to apply it to our daily living. I pray it in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus gives the Beatitudes. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you, when, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now listen to verse three. It's our target verse this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our Lord is on the mountain. He's delivering what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is thronged by a huge crowd. Now, many times when Jesus went out, he was in thick crowds. If you've ever been in a really thick crowd, I mean, shoulder to shoulder where, I mean, it is really tight, like subway tight. You ever been in one of those crowds maybe coming out of a baseball stadium? That's as close as you want to get to people you don't know. I mean, you could tell who wears Menin, who wears Old Spice, who didn't put anything on. So crowds are tough and crowds are thick and Jesus ascends the mountain to speak to the crowd and it's the sermon on the mount here and he's thronged by these multitudes. Whenever he spoke to multitudes, he didn't share the same uh, in-depth teaching that he shared with his disciples. Why? Because the multitudes were casual seekers. They were uncommitted. Many of them were just there for the show. Let's see what this guy's gonna say. So what he would do is he'd speak to them in parables, these short, powerful stories using things that were culturally familiar to them, using illustrations they could understand. He would speak in parables to convey to them some spiritual truth about the kingdom of God. And that's what we see Jesus doing here. Now, verses 1 through 12, he delivers what's called the Beatitudes. Now, they're not the bad attitudes. If it were the bad attitudes, you know, every one of us 
you know, we can look holy and we can look good on Sunday morning, but every single one of us has bad attitudes. And if you're looking at me like, not me, you got the worst attitude. <laughs> Amen. I mean, every one of us have stinking thinking, wrong ideas about God, uh, just wrong attitudes towards the opposite sex. You know, some people got man issues. Some people got woman issues. Some people just got issues. <laughs> But the Beatitudes are, are, are not just, you know, dealing with bad attitudes or wrong thinking. I want to tell you exactly what they are. The word Beatitude means supreme blessedness. So blessed to the max, right? So it comes from a root word that means to see God. So in a nutshell, Jesus is saying things that if, if we will receive what he's saying, we'll be completely blessed and we'll see God and we'll see, the, we'll see God move in our lives. So these things that he's saying to us, they're meant not to just be heard and, and thought about, but they're meant to be applied to our lives. And if we would apply these godly principles to our lives, it would be an amazing blessing to us. How many people would choose to be blessed over being cursed? Amen. Amen. There again, not every hand went up. This is alarming. <laughs> but Jesus wants to, us to be blessed. God wants us to be blessed. These beatitudes, these supreme blessings come to us when we apply them to our daily living. Now, I want to just point out the literary form of how Jesus delivers this here. It's not a haphazard approach. It's very structured. With each beatitude, first he says blessed. Then he gives the principle. Then he cites the blessing that comes from living that principle. So, for example, our target verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessing, principle, and the result of applying that. So it's blessed. Now, poor in spirit is something we're going to talk about, but the end result is that we gain the kingdom of heaven. How many want to sign up for that? Yeah. Amen. So the key to understanding verse three is knowing the real meaning of poor in spirit. Say poor in spirit. Now, right away, when we hear the word poor, there's a part of all of us that recoils a little bit because nobody likes poor. Don't try and look spiritual. You know, and as I'm studying and praying about this this week, you know, the, the whole idea of poor in spirit, when Jesus says that, it, it's hard for us to understand exactly what he's saying right out of the box. At the mention of poor, we don't like it. Why? Because we live in a materialistic world. And we, we are materialistic people. Just Pastor Mike is the only one being honest in church this morning. You know, oh, well, I'm not me. Do you have the same flip phone that you started out with? No. no. I'm on like Droid 10 by now, right? Why? Because we always want bigger. We always want better. We always want faster. We, we struggle with materialism. So when we hear poor in a materialistic culture, struggling with materialism, we don't like poor. In fact, poor is something that we don't really want to hear about. And another reason we don't like to hear about poor is because the, the church is still coming out of that out-of-balance prosperity doctrine that we've been assaulted with in the last two decades. Yeah. Amen? Come on, some, somebody amen to me. And realize that, you know, we, we've been sold a bill of goods that somehow wealth and riches equate to spirituality. And nothing could be further from the truth. Look, there, there's no spiritual, you know, there's no spirituality in being rich. And you know what? There's no nobility in being poor. 
The Bible says we prosper as our souls prosper. God gives us what we can handle. He gives us what we can handle, amen? If, if, we, need, if we need to make our souls prosper a little more so we can increase, then so be it. But that's the balance there. So we struggle, and I can see everybody just clams up here. So I, we are still struggling with the, that prosperity idea. Well, I want to be rich. I don't want to be poor. We struggle with materialism. And the last thing, uh, the reason that we recoil against the idea of poor in spirit is this. You know, the very idea of being poor is just not appealing about anything. You know, if we had a sign-up sheet at the back of the church where anyone leaves, sign up to get poor finances. <laughs> That'll be the shortest list ever. We said only Phil Marcy would have signed up for it because he's so holy and spiritual. But, you know, if you had to sign up, how about another sheet? Sign up for poor health. How about poor social skills? Do you want to be awkward in any situation? How about poor hygiene? No, we don't like poor anything. And you know what? The truth is that, you know, when it comes to poor and poverty, there's this part of us that doesn't like it. Now, honestly, when you think in the theater of your mind, what does a person look like who's poor in spirit? Well, maybe to you they look depressed or socially and spiritually unattractive. Maybe they're an unmotivated person, unappreciative or negative all the time. Now, where is the blessing in a person like that? Nowhere. So could it be that Jesus meant something very different about being poor in spirit than our first knee-jerk reaction to hearing that? He absolutely did. And he meant something about it. And I want to give you three marks of the person who's poor in spirit and why they are blessed. Number one, the poor in spirit are blessed because they have the humility to embrace self-denial. Now, there again, self-denial is about as exciting as poor. Because <laughs> we don't like to deny ourselves. Amen. How, how many people like to walk into a store with like an unlimited amount of money in your pocket that you could buy whatever you want? Yeah, people are waking up now. You know, in Cabela's with an unlimited budget. Only a few of you got that. In a shoe store. My wife just got the Holy Ghost. The poor in spirit have the humility to, to embrace self-denial. Now listen to me. The, the poor in spirit aren't filled, uh, the poor in spirit aren't filled with this thing we call spiritual pride. And many people have spiritual pride. All of us struggle with it at times. The Bible calls the spiritually proud person haughty. And the haughty deny themselves of nothing. If you're haughty, if you're spiritually proud, then nothing is too good for you then the best, only the best will do. Have you ever noticed people like that? If you, if you like that, don't raise your hand. But if you, you know somebody, you've seen pictures, you've read about it. Haughty, you know, are the best. I've known people that the best, they would only settle for the best, but everybody around them could have crumbs and that was okay with them. And I'm talking about church people. <laughs> I'm talking about clergy. The best, the best but you can have the crumbs. What a wrong spirit. It's a haughty spirit. 
It's really unbecoming for a Christian. You know, uh, the haughty deny themselves of nothing. A haughty person puts themselves on a collision course with Almighty God. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So pride and haughtiness puts us on a collision course with God and the person who is, is spiritually proud and not humble won't deny themselves. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says about the fate of the haughty. Isaiah 10, 33, behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts shall lop the bow with terror and the high ones of stature shall be hewn down and the haughty shall be humbled. Wow. Who are the people in the Bible that Jesus had the most conflict with? It starts with the Pharisees and ends with the Sadducees. <laughs> and he had the most conflict with what? religious people, spiritually proud people, haughty people, didn't have any problems with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. He ate with them. He converted them. They became his followers. Now, some of the Pharisees and Sadducees did convert, but he had a hard time with them. Why? Because God has a hard time with the spiritually proud, and he resists them, and, and it sets them up for a fall, and it doesn't allow them to embrace self-denial, which means they'll never carry their cross. You know, to follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves and, and pick up our cross and follow him. That's what the word says. So the person who is, uh, you know, humble enough to do that is blessed. Now listen, only a humble person would ask if they're being haughty. Do you notice a proud person never says, am I being proud? <laughs> they think they're always right, they're always just, they're always deserve, and they, they, you know, they're entitled. And listen, only a humble person could say, you know what, God, is, am I proud? King David, search me, know me, see if there be any wicked way in me. Father, am I arrogant? Am I proud? Do I feel entitled? Do I, do I only accept the best for me, but for everybody else, it's crumbs, a wrong spirit. Now, those who are poor in spirit are not haughty. They're not proud, and they're willing to serve Christ, and they're willing to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. A humble person would never, only a humble person would ever consider denying themselves. See, until we're humble enough to embrace self-denial, we'll never pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Listen to Matthew 16, 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Those who are poor in spirit are blessed because they're willing to embrace self-denial. And because they'll embrace self-denial, then we can pick up our cross and follow Jesus, and then our lives can be blessed because we're walking with Jesus. Haughtiness and pride will never get us there. The poor in spirit are blessed because they have the humility to embrace self-denial. Number two, the poor in spirit are blessed because they've accepted their own spiritual insufficiency. I hope you're taking notes today. I got a bunch of notes because I can't remember this stuff either. So I want you to remember it. I hope you're writing it down. Uh, the, the poor in spirit are blessed because they've accepted their own spiritual insufficiency. You know, it is very important for all of us to understand our spiritual reality. None of us were born saved. None of us came out full of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Are you John the Baptist? None of us, you know, were sinless when we started. We were born in original sin, and then as soon as we were able, we solidified that by sinning ourselves. So listen to me, here's the real 
spiritual condition of humanity. Now, this clashes with the modern philosophies and all roads lead to God and everybody's good at the core. Listen, our spiritual reality, according to scripture, is this. We're all sinners. Anybody? Just Pastor Rick and two other people. Praise God. All right. Number two, we can't stop sinning. I'll just try harder this week. No. Number three, we can't atone for our sins through our works. And number four, we can't save ourselves. Look, in a nutshell, that's the reality of our spiritual condition. We are born into sin. We are sinners. We can't stop sinning. We can't atone for our sin, and we can't save ourselves. Now, the person who understands that they can't do that will quickly come to Jesus because they realize their need for a Savior. Come on, and that's what makes them blessed, amen. There's people out there this morning that are not in these seats here because they think they're okay because they're good people. Yeah, right. And they're banking on a lie that if they do more good things than bad things, when they die, God will accept them. The world thinks that, you know, as long as I'm not, you know, as bad as Hitler. You know, we always throw these things out there. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. And that if we broke one part of the law, we're guilty of the whole thing. Understand that works idea of earning salvation, just what it's basically saying is I am spiritually sufficient. I can save myself. I can be good enough. And that person is not blessed because they can't be saved. The first step to salvation is admitting you need a savior. Anybody ever do that? And again, same two people raising their hands. <laughs> I remember when I was 14 years old and I realized for the first time, you know, I grew up in church. I heard about Jesus. I heard about spiritual things, but I didn't know Jesus personally. I remember a 14-year-old sitting on the bank of the Hudson uh, doing some water sports where someone was talking to me and I realized for the first time in my life, I was lost. Pastor Mike, that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. I'll never forget that day. I could hear the birds chirping. I could hear the water rambling. The sun was shining on my face. And I realized for the first time my great need for Jesus. Now, you say, well, that, that's, a, that's a sobering moment. That's a sad moment. That was the best moment of my life. Because it allowed, it allowed me to be blessed. Why? Because before I thought I was fine. But I had one foot in hell and the other on a banana peel. I wasn't fine. I needed Jesus. And from the moment I realized I needed him, uh, nothing else would satisfy me. I had to have him. And it's never gone away. It's never lessened. It's still something in me. I need Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need him as Savior and Lord in my life. And I'll spend my days following him. And that's a blessed way to live. Someone say amen. amen. First step to salvation is knowing you're a sinner and you need a savior. The second step is to accept that all your achievements and sacrifices and, and works and your moral restraints can't erase your sin. We can't earn our way. That idea that we can atone or we can make up or we can be good enough is a lie that fills up hell. Spiritual overconfidence is deadly. Every day I need to wake up, oh, I need grace. I need the blood of Jesus on my life. I need forgiveness. Before I got to bed, I need forgiveness. You say, what do you do? I, I, mean, I, don't, I mean, when I wake up, I just know I need Jesus. 
Spiritual overconfidence is a dangerous thing. Now, golf legend Arnold Palmer recalls this hard lesson about overconfidence. I want you to listen to this. It was the final hole of the Masters tournament, and I had a one-stroke lead, and I felt like I was in really good shape. As I approached my ball, I saw an old friend standing at the edge of the gallery. He motioned over and stuck out his hand and said, congratulations. I took his hand and shook it, and as soon as I did, I knew I had lost my focus. On my next two shots, I hit the ball into a sand trap, then put it over the edge of the green. Finally, I missed my putt, and I lost the Masters. You don't forget mistakes like that. You just learn from them and determine to never do them again, and I haven't in 30 years since. You see, overconfidence will destroy our ability to focus. And it'll make us think that we can do it ourselves when, you know what, we need to focus on the grace of God and, and Jesus as Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. There are many who are spiritually overconfident. Oh, you know, I, I'm just a good person. I do good things. I, I'm nice. I, you know, I, I don't steal anything from the office. <laughs> Apparently struck a nerve there. <laughs> But we've got to know we need Jesus and we've got to know we can't save ourselves and we've got to know that we need to serve him and not ourselves. And recognizing that we're spiritually insufficient makes us blessed in so many ways because then we can stop striving to please God and just rest in the fact that Jesus did all the heavy lifting. I wish there were some Christians here this morning to shout and yell about what Jesus did on the cross. So the poor in spirit are blessed because they're humble enough to embrace self-denial. The poor in spirit are blessed because they've accepted that their own spirituality is insufficient. And number three, I close with this. The, the poor in spirit are blessed because they get to focus on grace rather than what they deserve. <laughs> Do you know, we're saved by grace and we didn't deserve it. Yet we have a world out there who says, I want what I deserve. Have you, I've known, you know, and, and all of us are guilty at times that, you know what, we, we think we deserve, we can be all spiritual on Sunday, but many times we look up in heaven and God, I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve a marriage like that or a kid like that or a job like that. It's quiet now because we all get there. You see, when, and I see people who, you know, I've seen people over the course of my ministry that, God, just give me what I deserve. And I'm like, don't pray that prayer. I don't want what I deserve. Because I'll just be blunt with you. I deserve to be in hell. I deserve to pay the wages of my sin, which is death. Now, I know this makes us uncomfortable, and it's not goosebumpy, and it's not happy clappy but the truth will set you free. Amen. I'm spiritually insufficient. I can't save myself. I need to be able to deny myself just to follow Jesus. And you know what? If I can't focus on grace, then all I'm left with is what I think I deserve. Now, a person who's poor in spirit recognizes that every blessing in their life is a gift from God and they don't deserve it. Someone say amen. Every blessing in my life. You know, I was joking in first service. I said, when my wife rolls over in the morning and she sees me, she looks at me and says, I don't deserve him. <laughs> but the truth is I wake up first and I look at her and I'm like, I don't deserve her. And we're blessed to have each other. Why? It's a blessing. We don't go around, you don't deserve me. You don't deserve me. <laughs> we just enjoy the gift of each other. Yes. 
Some of the married people are going, what's he talking about? <laughs> but every gift in my life, have you ever just looked at your life and, and looked at, I mean, this, just the stuff God gives us, the places to live. Mark, when I moved in, I, I live in a house that, you know, it's a miracle. Every part of it's a miracle. Couldn't afford it. Got the land for cheap. There, someone came in the church, said, I'll get it for you at my cost. They built it. I mean, just miracle after miracle. I live in a house that I could never afford. Now, I mean, it's not a mansion, but to me, it's a blessing with a long thousand foot dirt driveway. Praise God. <laughs> but have you ever just looked around at the stuff that yes. God has given you? Yes. And then, man, when you were, maybe when you were younger, you thought, I'll never have this. I'll never have that. Now you have an abundance. Right. And I, I, I can't help but feel so humbled yeah. that, you know, God, man, you've been so good to, you know, even, even the poorest in our country are like wealthy compared to the living standards in the world. Oh, no. Right. And we don't want to hear that. I want more. I want free stuff. I want your stuff. We've become ungrateful. And we want what we deserve. I deserve it. Somebody owes me. That's not grace. Jesus, you better go to the cross. I need a savior. No, it's grace. Focus on grace rather than what you deserve. The person who's poor in spirit, recognize it's all a gift. It's all grace. It's all unmerited favor. I didn't deserve any of it. You know, I didn't earn any of it. I did my part and God did the other 98%. A person who focuses on grace, listen, doesn't have a mountain of unrealistic expectations to wrestle with. The person who focuses on grace doesn't walk around figuring out what the world owes them, what God owes them, and what they deserve. Have you ever seen people that just they have these, uh, these unrealistic expectations, overinflated ideas of what it means to serve God? Well, it should be happy all the time and abundance, and I should never have any hardship, and I should never be sick, and I should never, and my life should just be a peach. How many have lived long enough to know that life is not a peach? Sometimes it's a pit. <laughs> so, so what do we do with those overinflated expectations where we say, you know what, I deserve, you know, I serve God and I, I live holy and, I, and, 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 and God, you, you should, and why is this? And, and all of a sudden, now it's not focused on grace anymore. It's unfocused what we deserve. Wow. Those unrealistic expectations, those overinflated ideas about how our life should be so easy without any conflict, without any suffering, it's just not biblical. And I want you to understand something. The person who has unrealistic expectations because they're focused on what they think they deserve instead of grace makes themselves highly susceptible to the enemy's two most destructive weapons, disappointment and bitterness. When you and I think everybody owes us, including God, we're going to be very disappointed when life doesn't go our way. Now, all of us have been disappointed before, and disappointment is one of the most powerful tools of the devil. Why? Because when we're disappointed by what we expected our lives to be, then all of a sudden we look up at heaven and say, you're not fair. Wow. And the truth is, I mean, if we can be honest, say, if we look at our lives, it, it's, most of us can say it's not anything of what I expected it to be. Right. Anybody? So there's room for disappointment there. Now, if we let, we have this overinflated idea that I deserve something and God has to treat me X, Y, and Z because I did, you know, A, B, and C, and, you know, I, I earned this and I deserve this, and it's not about grace anymore, then we're disappointed. Now, listen to me. If you carry disappointment around long enough, you're going to become bitter. Yeah. 
which is the enemy's second most powerful weapon. You know, disappointed people, you know, they carry that disappointment around like, you know, like a big cooler of, you know, uh, just heavy weight, you know, and you could see him. How are you today? Disappointed. <laughs> what are you disappointed about? My, you know, my wife, my kids, my job, I'm disappointed. My back hurts. My head hurts. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been around people like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe you just meet them and within 10 seconds, they're telling you uh, what they're disappointed about. And you're thinking, I just said hi to be polite. Go away. <laughs> Disappointed. You carry that disappointment around long enough and you'll get bitter. Because it'll make you mad at life and it'll make you mad at people and it'll make you mad at God. And you see, where does that all come from? It comes from focusing on what you think you deserve instead of grace. Oh, everything in our life is a gift from God. It's God's amazing grace, amen. We need to focus on the things that we do have and stop focusing on the things we don't have that the world says we need, but we don't need because if we did need them, God would have gave them to us. Come on, come on this morning. Do you know it's often the most accomplished people who have done the most in life that are the most disappointed and bitter at the end of their lives? Alexander the Great, conquered so much of the known world. When he conquered Persia, he broke down and wept because his troops were too exhausted to take India. Wow. Hugo Grotius, the father of modern international law, said, I have accomplished nothing worthwhile in my entire life. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, wrote in his diary, my life has been spent in vain, idle aspirations. You're the president of the United States. Listen to this, and in ceaseless rejected prayers, mad at God, that something would be the result of my existence that was beneficial. Wow. Robert Louis Stevenson, the author, wrote words that continue to delight and enrich our lives, yet what did he write in his epitaph? Here lies one who meant well, who tried little and failed much. Cecil Rhodes opened up Africa and established it as an empire uh, in so many ways. He, he did great things as a man, but his dying words were so little done, so much to do. Those who focus on achievements, those who focus on their net worth, those who focus on being a household name or the accolades of men will die disappointed and bitter. <laughs> but those of us who focus on grace, will enjoy every minute of this life, even in hardship, even in trial, until we fall into the arms of Jesus and hear him say, well done. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I choose grace. Amen. I don't deserve anything. In fact, I told you what I deserve, and I'm glad I didn't get it. Right. So the poor in spirit are blessed because they're humble enough to embrace self-denial. They've accepted their own spiritual insufficiency and they are focused on grace and not what they deserve. So when you apply those principles to your life, you're blessed. What's the fruit of that? The, the blessing attached to it is, is something that's even hard to fathom. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. I don't know about you, but I'm signing me up for some heaven. Amen. I mean, uh, if, if I spend eternity in heaven because of Jesus and you spend eternity, it doesn't matter what happens in this life. That's just a puff of smoke. It's here now and it's gone. Look, if I die broke and nobody likes me and nobody comes to my funeral, but Jesus meets me and says, well done, I win. <laughs> Praise God. 
So the fruit of applying these principles, the, the blessing of them is that, is that we gain heaven. Now, why do we gain heaven? Heaven is for every sinner who will accept Jesus as Savior. Heaven is for the humble of heart who realize works can never save them, only Jesus can, and that their spiritual performance will not atone for their sin. Heaven is a place for those who don't demand what they deserve, but celebrate the amazing grace of God in their lives. Heaven is not for the proud, it's not for the haughty, it's not for the smug religious rule keeper, it's a place for those who are blessed enough to be poor in spirit. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you today for the Beatitudes. I thank you for number one. And Father, I pray that if there's any haughtiness in us, if there's any spiritual pride in us, if there's overconfidence in us that we think we can live recklessly and it's all good, convict us of that and deliver us from it so that we can rest in the grace of God, so that we can carry our cross and follow Jesus, so that we can, for, for once and for all, stop striving and realize we can't do it but you already have. Let humility replace haughtiness in every area of our lives. Now, if you're here this morning as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and you have never made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to that. You say, well, what in the world do I need to do that for? Because there comes a time in all of our lives where we have to admit our spiritual insufficiency. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I can't stop sinning and I can't save myself. If you're at that place this morning, you're at an awesome spot because Jesus is about to offer you forgiveness of sin and salvation as a free gift by what he did on the cross for you. Today, if you want a clean slate and a fresh start, if you want to be forgiven, if you want your sins erased and you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, all you have to do is just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you would be saved. Romans 10, it's so easy. He made it so easy. I'm a sinner, I need a savior. Jesus, I receive you today and I give my life to you. If you want that, if you wanna be forgiven, if you want a clean slate and a fresh start, just raise your hand. How many people here today say, I wanna do that? God bless you, sir. Come on, this is the most important part of our service today. God bless you, God bless you. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my savior. I repent of my sin and I ask you to forgive me. Teach me a new way to live. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I belong to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Amen.